This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode 24. This is Gilbert. Welcome to the podcast. Today we'll be speaking with John Saini. He's based in Cape Town, South Africa. He's a trend specialist, business strategist, keynote speaker, author of two books, What's Your Moonshot? and Magnetize. He is also an entrepreneur and a Singularity University faculty member, working with clients across industries and around the world with over 20 years of experience. Today we'll be talking about his story and how he was able to overcome his adversity, his setbacks, and find out what it is truly is his purpose and fundamentally find out deeper within ourselves what, it, what is it that drives us and what is it that's going to help us achieve our greatest goals? We'll be talking about how to identify things that do matter. What are the, some of the questions, rituals, and experiences that we can begin to start practicing so that we can become the greatest versions of ourselves? And what are some of the things that we should avoid in our journey of this thing we call life? I'm really excited for this episode. Please join me in welcoming John Saini. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we have John Saini with us. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much, man. Great to be here. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about one of the key topics that uh, John is an expert on and uh, pretty much... Uh, one of the questions that he's been solving, which is how conscious is your thinking? So John, tell us a bit about your story or before we get into the you know, the meat of it. I, I've always been an entrepreneur. And if I think back on it now, I think it was because I didn't have a father growing up and uh, I have an issue with uh, bad leadership. So I couldn't actually uh, sustain any sort of long-term uh, work in the corporate world. So uh, entrepreneurship was my natural path. I come from a single mom family and uh, that always kind of motivated me and pushed me to one, help my mom as also as be independent because there was nothing to really fall back on. And that sort of drive made me really, really successful in my mid twenties. I uh, had a, a range of restaurants, vending machines, retail stores, shoe distribution businesses across Southern Africa. And uh, I could do no wrong or I thought I could do no wrong. By the time I got to about 31, uh, my little empire that I'd created started to crumble and I had to decay bankruptcy and lost pretty much everything by the time I got to 32 years old. And I spent about five years feeling very depressed and a victim of sorts. And it took me five years to realize that I was suffering from the sort of states and the genius of being a victim or genius of a victim mindset is that you don't even know you're being a victim. It becomes part and parcel of your behavior. And you get surrounded by people that have also have the sort of same notions about life. You all walk around blaming, shaming, and uh, not taking responsibility for your life. And it seems normal. And, but eventually, I realized that I could get myself out of it. And I did get myself out of it. And uh, over the last 10 years or so, I have spent my time sharing the understanding of human psychology, the understanding of changing behavior, and I've combined that together with future studies where I categorize and contextualize the future and help organizations around the world shift behavior, shift the questions they're asking about the future, build courage and clarity so that they can become 
more active in creating their future rather than being victims of it. So do you feel that those five years of watching your empire crumble and then having to uh, go through a period of victimizing yourself, what are some of the symptoms that people would exhibit uh, even if they're not aware that they are being a victim? Good question. There's three types of victims that I know of. The first one is the martyr victim or the entitled victim. This is the classic victim, the person who always feeling sorry for themselves. And we all and we all have this personality visit us from time to time. And it's a feeling sorry for myself. I didn't get invited to that party. I'm feeling fat. I ate too much food. Nobody likes me, blah, blah, blah. The same sort of victim mindset also can be entitled because you can be entitled to thinking you deserve more than you're getting um, or that why doesn't people or people see the brilliant person that I am and pay me the money that I'm supposed to earn. That's an entitled sort of victim. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But that's a classic one. We all kind of can fix that one. But I mean, the other one is the arrogant inferior victim. Um, best described by, let's say, somebody's driving past in a Porsche. You, to, towards her, the driver or him, you say, hey, nice car, but in your head secretly you say thief or must be daddy's money or I wonder how they got that money because they can't be that smart. Or if you have somebody who got promoted at work and you say, did you hear she got promoted? She must have slept the way to the top because she's not that smart. And so what we do is in our arrogance, we pull anybody that's more successful than us to make them inferior to us so we can feel better about ourselves. So this is arrogant, inferior victim. And then you get the arrogant, superior victim, which is the person who's always complaining about everything and blaming the government, the dollar, the dollar euro exchange, the price of oil, their boss, the company they work for, and blames everybody because they are superior in their arrogance to all these fools below them. And really the only thing that changes when these people stop complaining is their blood pressure and nothing else really changes. So I suffered from all three types of victims feeling entitled that I deserved more or I should deserve more, making anybody more successful than myself, less successful than myself in my own internal dialogue. And finally, being angry with the environment and blaming the environment for my lack of success. So these are the sort of victim traits that I suffered from and I see everywhere around me. Do they typically happen in sort of a phase where you start off blaming everything and then then maybe there's this passive aggression towards other people in success or then feeling like you deserve more or how, how does it? No, I, I think everybody's different. It really depends. I think they're always happening at all different times. So I think that you go from feeling like feeling sorry for yourself to being angry with the world to seeing somebody more successful than you then bringing them down. I think it's just a tumultuous headspace that you're in. And when you're in this tumultuous headspace, all of the victim mindsets affecting you. So I don't think it's one or the other or they come in stages. I think it's happening nonstop. This is something we see very common in society these days, especially this the last few years. It's been a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of people have been, you know, they've been playing victim for a long time, but it hasn't really been sort of exposed. And even then, do you feel like People, most people are not even aware that they are. Well, that's what I said at the beginning. That's the, that's the genius of victim is that you don't even know you're being a victim because you also then, like the saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. You almost find yourself in an environment where your friends are also bitching, complaining, and not taking responsibility for their lives. And so you get together for a barbecue or for a couple of beers or a glass of wine and all you do is moan. And then when you realize that you're actually stuck in this conundrum Mm -hmm. and in this conundrum, you can't be a disruptor, an innovator, a multimillionaire, a 
person who's got freedom because you're blaming everything for why it's not. So what you realize is you wake up all of a sudden and then you realize, hang on a second, I've been doing this for so long. I didn't even realize I was doing this. And you snap out of it. And when you snap out of it, you realize all your friends are losers. And then you have to change your friend. So it's a, it's a bit of a tough thing to do. But once you realize it and you realize that your success is your responsibility and nobody else's, wow, the power and freedom that comes with that. I mean, listen, I live between New York and Cape Town. I'm one of the top paid speakers in South Africa. I've got two bestsellers. I'm now moving to New York to continue my career. I, this all happened because I shifted my perspective. I shifted my lens. I took responsibility and realized that I was just being an immature human being by not taking responsibility. What was that turning point for you when you decided that you had enough of playing victim and you wanted to take back control of your life? There were many different things that were happening, but I think the most, the most profound thing that happened was I had a ceremony of ayahuasca with a shaman from South America. And in the ceremony, Mother Ayahuasca or the spirit of ayahuasca explained to me in no uncertain terms that I was being a child. It was a huge wake-up call. And I've done ayahuasca subsequently many, many times since then. But it was the catalyst for me realizing that I was stuck in that sort of paradigm. I think my bankruptcy also was the beginning of me starting to understand that I was a victim because even when I had a lot of money, I always was upset because I didn't have enough because you can also be a victim and still be poor. Look at Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be rich and still be a victim because you just think, why don't I have more? And so that cycle also doesn't mean that you have to be poor and a victim. You can be rich and a victim, which means that you're never rich enough, which means that you're in a constant space of anxiousness to want to build it. And so my, my bankruptcy was the beginning of that. My divorce, which happened three years ago, was also a very crystallizing process, making me realize mm. that I've been a boy for so long. So many things, many things. It wasn't just one. I'm sure like a lot of things in our past have contributed to a uh, sort of self we, we create around ourselves. What was one of these like sort of transformations? In, in, you mentioned ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is uh, something that a lot of people trying uh, uh, these days. I know it's really difficult to explain the experience itself to someone that hasn't, hasn't done it before. But would you agree that it's sort of taking something that's subconscious and making it conscious? Here's the thing. As I'll, I'll give you a couple of descriptions of it. One is we as human beings are made up of memories. That's who we are. We, we, are, we, are, we are a series of memories. You, know? you are made up of memories. And these memories that we have chosen to remember and chosen to hold on to have been created by our ego to keep us safe from the world. And so what's happened is that we justify our personality and our existence based on a set of memories. And I use this line from a Dr. Joe Dispenza. He says, are you living a life based on a set of memories of your past? Or are you living a life based on the vision of your future? And if you realize that we are mostly living in repetition, dragging our past with us, justifying our presence, nothing can break this stronghold of our perspective like ayahuasca can. Because what ayahuasca does and the active ingredient in ayahuasca called DMT is produced by our pineal gland or our third eye twice in our lives when we are born and when we die. In other words, they call it the God molecule or the spirit molecule, meaning that when your soul comes into your body, your brain floods with DMT. And when your soul leaves your body, your brain floods with DMT. It's almost the portal to the other world. Now, when we ingest DMT, our stomach acids usually burn the DMT away before we can actually utilize it. Now, thousands and thousands of years ago, the shamans in South America 
somehow figured out that if they cook these two plants together, which is what ayahuasca is made of, these two plants, one's a vine, one's a leaf, what happens when they cook them for the whole day and pray over the brew, the leaf has the DMT in it, the vine has the stomach acid blocker in it. So when you ingest the, the ayahuasca liquid in a space of ceremony, your stomach acids are blocked from digesting the DMT so that you can actually ingest the DMT and you can start going on a journey to where you come from because that's what DMT does. It transports you into this other dimension. And in the space of being transported to other dimension, Mother Ayahuasca is your tour leader. And in a space of touring you through your life, through your memories, through your experiences, and she gently reminds you that this memory is wrong and she shows you another perspective. She shows you that this thought process that you had could be adjusted. And in the process of you realizing that these memories that you've had could be different, they shift your whole perspective about yourself and your future. And most people don't wanna do ayahuasca because they hear about the purging or the bringing up, but that actually is the best part of all because what that means is that you have adopted a new perspective based on letting go of some memories that is shifting the cellular structure of your body. And in order for you to shift to a new, more harmonious space, you need to purge the emotional state that you've been carrying that has developed your current cellular structure. And so you come out of there like you've had spiritual surgery. It comes out like you've now let go of tons and tons of emotional space that you didn't even know you were carrying because it's so well embedded in your perspective and ego construct. So there's a lot of things that people suppressed emotions or traumas and things that no longer serve us, but they're still plaguing us. Even doesn't matter what age we are or where we are in life, but th these things have been following us. And what you're saying is that going through this, the ritual uh, will allow these things to surface and allow you to deal with them as they come and allow you to purge them from your system. Exactly. And but the thing is, we don't even know that they're in our system. That's the thing is that if you tell anybody from an older generation, listen, go for coaching, they'll say, there's nothing wrong. I don't need to go for coaching. And the reason they say that is because it's so deeply embedded in your perspective. You don't think anything is wrong. But when you start diving deeper, you start realizing there's a whole bunch of perspectives that don't really serve you and you could be doing a lot better without. One of the core aspects of coaching is asking questions, right? Would you say that asking good questions will also help to identify some of these things that don't serve us, even though we don't go through a ayahuasca ritual? Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is you, you, you know, you can ask as many questions as you like. You just, we don't have the capacity and access to our subconscious to ask those questions that are really out of our comfort zone. And we require help from a plant system that does that for us. But of course, your ability to ask new questions will always change your life. You know, what's a great saying from Cal Fussman? He says, change your questions, change your life. So what is one of the best questions you have ever been asked? Or what is a question that really made you think? Well, I think the question that everybody should be asking themselves is how much closer can I get to who I am? so that I can make my life blissful. As Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. And the only question you should be asking is, why am I here? Uncalibrate, uh, defrag the perspective that I've had to get to my purpose. And when I figure out my purpose, life becomes a breeze. And so the only question you should be asking is, who am I? What am I doing here? What purpose do I have? What value can I add? 
and let me just roll with that. Is this in a way disrupting ourselves? Well, you know, I, I also I also think that uh, when I speak about disruption, I always talk about the fact that innovation and disruption is not a product or a service. Innovation and disruption is the way we think. Is how do we go about moving from celebrating IQ to AQ, from intelligence quotient to adaptability quotient? Because the world we live in and the world we're moving into requires us to be more adaptable, more flexible, more agile than ever before. So the disruption that's actually required is the disruption in our own thinking, is letting go of the past, being more agile and more light-footed moving into the future. My third book is called Foresight, which I'm busy with right now, and it's exactly about that. It's about as many things in plain sight, but what is the insight? When we look at the insights behind the things that look one way, but the insights tell us another way, when you start practicing these insights, you start getting foresight. And foresight gives you an opportunity to connect the dots into your future rather than just mm. connecting your dots in hindsight. That's, that's very interesting because I had a mentor one time that he, he brought up a good, he said, talent is when you can hit targets that other people can see, but genius is hitting targets. Nobody else can see. Exactly. Mm. Being able to see the invisible. Yeah, I love that. I know that's good saying, yeah. But that, you see that every, all of us have got our own genius and it's about figuring out what invisible can you see? You know, my ex-wife was an invisible genius. I mean, she was a genius cook that never learned, never followed a recipe. Her food was incredible. She just connected these invisible dots. I am a fumbling fool in the kitchen. I can even follow a, a recipe and I can't get it really right. So my, my other friend can watch football and he watches a different game than I do because he can connect the dots in a different way. My skill set is just connecting the dots into the future and understanding human psychology to do so. That's my specific skill set. So again, coming back down to the most important question you have is how quickly can I figure out why I'm here on earth so I can connect the dots that I've been designed to connect. So how does one discover what it is that they are put on this earth to do? Is it through experimenting? Is it through going deep into a particular topic and trying to, to see if it resonates with you know, who they are? Or is there another way of going about it? Yeah, I think that for me, it's about stop using your mind to make decisions, stop using your primal desires to make decisions and start using your heart to make decisions. And so that sounds cliche, so maybe break it down a bit further. What does it mean to follow your heart? It means what shines brightest for you when you are on the internet? What shines brightest when you're in conversation? What shines brightest when you are flipping through a magazine? What always catches your eye? What always seems seamless for you to research? That's number one. Two, what this does, it leads you to a state of excitement because now you start reading up more and more about this topic you become excited about it. This excitement fuels more energy to dive deeper into it. And eventually you become a specialist in the field that makes you most excited. And now when you're a specialist, you have access to constant energy, constant creativity, constant innovative ideas, because what you've done is have utilized excitement as your rudder to make decisions and not the logical state. And when I started using excitement to follow what makes me most excited, my career has taken off exponentially because of that, because I only do what makes me most excited. I outsource every part of my life that doesn't make me excited. Well, that's, a, that's awesome advice because a lot of times we, we try a lot of different things. We fail at we, we do it for a little time. It doesn't work. And then we decide maybe it's not for us. But if we shift the lens and focus on what gets us up in the exactly. morning, what exactly. sort of makes our heart sing? These sort of questions would... Yeah, but, but they're kind of cliche, all those statements, you know? And for me, yeah. following your highest excitement lands it down to a very specific emotion. Like, you know, what makes your heart sing? Yes, okay, I don't know. But what makes you excited? 
And so what most people say to me, I don't know what makes me most excited. And I say, because you've never asked the question. You've always looked for where's the money, where's the gap, what's the logical thing to do, what degree do I need to get, what PhD do I need to have, what job can I get, what career can I follow, what promotions can I get. Those are all logical mind decisions. None of them are describing passion, joy, happiness, excitement, ecstasy, bliss, flow, nobody. Because the, the questions they've been asking is focused on the how, where exactly. the questions you're presenting are focused on the why. Well, I would even go further and saying the why, yes, but the who, who are you? Who are you supposed to be? And I always tell people, stop doing to-do lists, create to-be lists. Who are you supposed to be? And start working towards who you want to be rather than to do. To be makes you more elegant, makes you long-term. To do is short-term and not elegant at all. Now, that's what my book, Magnetize, is about. It's about being elegant in your life. It's about driving a deliberate, conscious effort into creating this person that you are supposed to be and letting go of who you thought you were supposed to be. There's this interesting quote I have on my, on my phone that I, I refer to a lot. And it says, on your last day of earth, the person you became will meet the person you could have become. And I think that that's a good reminder for us to constantly strive to Aha, beautiful. become more. Um, but of course, it's sometimes it's easier to say that to become more than done. One of the things you mentioned was, yes, follow your highest excitement. But what if that incitement for someone at first, it doesn't pay? It doesn't pay the bills. It gets them excited, but you know they can't. They still can't break free of their cycles. Well, listen. I think that, again, that's another story that a lot of people have is that I can't make money for my passion, and I think that's bullshit. Somebody even said to me the other day, "My passion is uh, lifeguard. How do I make money out of being a lifeguard?" I said, "Well, you know, you could have a YouTube channel sharing how you are a lifeguard. You should create an Instagram page talking about your life as a lifeguard. You could create shorts that you want to sell." Because of being on a lifeguard, you understand exactly what sort of material you need to. You could create your own suntan lotion. You could create your own umbrellas. You could, I mean, you could do a million things. So the idea that your passion doesn't pay you, I think is rubbish. And obviously, momentum is required in order for you to get, remember I said to you, follow what shines brightest. Get, your space, get yourself into a space of excitement and specialist. You become a specialist eventually when you've really dived deep into the topic. And it's so easy to dive deep into the topic because you're so passionate about it. It doesn't even seem like work. It just seems like fun. And you become very, very abundant because of it, because you've got access to this constant creativity. You don't even, you don't even become shy in holding your secrets. There's no secrets. When you're in that space, it's collaborative. It's not hierarchical. So what are some of these changes that we can be expecting from, uh, from, from society and like moving forward in the next you know, 10 years, 20 years that people need to adapt to? Well, I think just in very broad terms, very easy to understand is exactly what electricity did at the turn of the 19th century, where you had a drill and it was just a drill and then you added electricity to it and became a power drill. And then you had people washing clothes and you had a washing machine and you had a people putting fires on and you had an electric oven and then you had, you know, electricity changed everything. Something we take so for granted today. The next wave of change in a massive way is artificial intelligence is the new electricity. Everything will become smart. Everything. And it'll become smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter. And we've got to understand that the left brain that we have used in our logical minds to understand processes and language and systems and languages, um, I said that already, languages, but the left brain is gonna be replaced by artificial intelligence. We have now got the opportunity to focus in on developing our right brains, uh, creativity, 
understanding ourselves, asking more conscious questions about who we are and what we're here to do. And in the space now, we have to retrain our brain to ask these new questions that are right brain focused rather than left brain. So the real evolution is not only the, you know, the AI, the computers, and it's, it's more of the evolving as a human, as a human being. For me, it's all that. It's always about becoming a more conscious human being. When you have figured out to become a more conscious human being and understand the, the actual importance of that, that becomes your priority. And when that becomes your priority, everything else clicks, just clicks. What are some of the questions you might ask yourself every, on a daily basis? Is this ritual serving me is this ritual that's becoming a habit that's becoming my behavior that's becoming my personality and ultimately we are besides made up of memories we are made up of ritual our lives are just minute by minute moment by moment rituals that end up becoming who we are so the only question you should be asking yourself is does these memories serve me to move faster into the future and two are the rituals that i follow helping me develop and become the person i want to be that's the only questions you need to ask they're very simple, but they're the ones that force you to look at your life differently. So what are some of the common rituals that you have in your life? Oh, I wake up and- That are serving you. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I meditate every day, every morning for about an hour. I do Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditation. I then go into uh, journaling and I journal for a while. And then I drink my coffee and then I go and train. And once I've trained, I come back and I get ready for my day and I start my day. And then at four o'clock, I switch off everything and then go for a run, make sure I'm in bed by, or in my meditation bed or room, meditation chair by about 8.30, 9 o'clock. I meditate for another hour. And then I go to bed by half past nine and I start the cycle again. So you, you meditate for around two hours a day? Yes. Okay. That's quite interesting because there's a book I read some time ago. It was about the sphere of silence. I'm not sure if you heard of it. Okay, no, I haven't. Yeah. And it's by a Malaysian uh, businessman. And in the book, it talks about spending one hour of your day, which doing meditation, visualization yeah. and, and all that to take back control of the other 23. Nice. Love that. And what is like, I have, I meditate myself. I'm trying to work my way up to an hour. And when I started, when I started off meditating five minutes, 10 minutes, it's just, it was, it just didn't work for me. So since I've never meditated, I've never done an hour before. I think that there's something different that happens. There's a much more different uh, state that you're in when you're actually doing it for an hour than say five minutes, which is too short of a time to put your body in that state. Would you agree? Or is there something that particular about an hour? Well, the reason I do that is I follow Dr. Joe Dispenza's guided meditations. And if you don't know who he is, I highly recommend you check him out. So he's, he's a neuroscientist that has developed meditations that give you access to your pineal gland and really quantum fields and sort of exercise of creating your reality. And all of his work has been proven with uh, independent science um, scientists. And he's got three New York Times bestsellers, so he's no fool. And so I just follow his meditations. And he's just seemed to be between 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and one hour, 20 minutes. And so I've just chosen to do those meditations in that time period because of his instructions. So I don't choose an hour specifically. I'm just following a process and a program, which is absolutely changing my life. I look at his latest book called uh, Becoming Supernatural. That's that's kind of the, the, the modality that I'm using. I love that. Is there, uh, there's, there's actually a question about, I'm trying to understand a bit more about, because you mentioned about quantum states. What do you know about qualia? No, never heard of it, man. Oh, yeah, because uh, there was... This... I'm, just wicked. I'm, I'm Googling it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, because there's this book, I, I can't find it on my shelf right now, but it was about, because since we're talking about like, you know, conscious thinking, and it talks a bit about like the universe, it has a sort of consciousness. And for us to, it, it's sort of also tying in like law of attraction, how we can create results in our life. I think, it, like you mentioned, it starts with our thoughts. So retraining our our thoughts, our 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 minds to uh, to ask those right questions to to take up those habits that are mm. uh, serving us rather than uh, holding us back. There was one thing that people listening to this right now, they maybe they're in a job or they've just started off in their journey. What is one thing that you could share with them that has had the most profound impact in your life in the last ten years? That just one thing that they can start to do today well listen the truth is the most profound thing is ayahuasca okay so that's the most profound thing if you can't get yourself to ayahuasca start doing some reading on understanding ways and means to get into your subconscious mind to redesign and reprogram and recalibrate your thinking so that you can have access to the things that you want we are holding ourselves back without even realizing we're holding ourselves back that's the genius of the ego it's so intertwined into our perspective. We don't even know that we're doing it. And that's called being unconscious. When you start waking up and become conscious, you start realizing, do you know the three stages of consciousness? One, I'm just running around like a fool, paying school fees and mortgages. I have no idea that what's going on in the world. Two, oh, there's rules to this reality. If I follow these rules, I could create more success. Then you start following rules. Three, oh, I can make the rules. I don't even have to follow the rules. I can just make the rules as I'm going along because that's how free the world is. And, but it depends on your perspective, your vibrational perspective on the reality that you're living in. And so for me, it's about the one thing you should do immediately is find somebody, do some research, do a workshop, go to a talk, watch a TED talk, do something that gives you an insight into how you reprogram yourself. Insight for you is... Something that, again, is something that we, we cannot, we might not be able to see at first, but then when we use the insight, we can, we can create foresight into the future. That's it. All right. So insight. So everything's about having that insight. You know, Alan Watts is a great saying. He says, the knowledgeable man has to learn something new every day, but the wise man has to unlearn something new every day. Mm. And so in order to move towards wisdom is you have to unlearn, let go of who you think you were, you know? That becomes the most imperative thing. I like the fact that we're in this interview and we haven't spoken about anything that we decided to speak about. At the beginning. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we've gone off on a tangent. because yeah, we're going off on tangents. But I love this. Uh, I love this, this topic. Yeah, I love this yeah, topic. Yeah. And because you mentioned um, we have to unlearn because the cup is full, right? Yeah, and we have to pour out the water so that we can take in more. Yeah, the feng shui uh, principle of getting rid of the old in order to bring in the new is exactly that when it comes to the thinking and your life. You have to get rid of the old thinking to bring in the new. What is one of those thinkings that you had to get rid of that was really holding? I'm not worthy of uh, business class tickets. I'm not worthy of a fat paycheck for my talks. I'm not worthy of having a bestseller book. I'm not worthy of that beautiful girl. I'm not worthy of having the greatest body I could have. Just not, I just don't think I'm worthy of any of those things. And when you really tap down into it, of course you are. Just make yourself more worthy, add more value, get better as a human being, you know, just add what you need to do here on earth and you'll have more money than you know what to do with. Would you say it's really correlated with I'm not good enough? Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm not worthy enough. Same thing. Because this is also something that I've been battling with for some time because if I dig deeper, it came from something growing up. I, I was always... All of us have this. Yeah. 
all of us. I think it's, it's sort of a, you know, different waves of the spectrum. Like some people are more deeper down that spectrum than others. Awesome stuff. So we're bringing this um, episode to a close. There's one piece of advice that you'd like to leave the audience with. What would it be? Remember that your memories are not the truth. Stop justifying your reality based on your memories. Your memories are just a perspective of what happened in the past. If you can become responsible for changing your memories and understanding objectively what happened in your past, or as Tony Robbins calls it, becoming conscious about your memories rather than unconscious. In other words, your memories don't make people, you don't blame people with your memories, but take responsibility and thank people. Like for example, my father, I didn't have a father really growing up and I spent many of my adult years resenting him and then eventually getting to a point where I thanked him for creating an environment where I had to become independent and become an adult way before my time, which had its pros and cons, but a huge pro because look what it's done to my life now. You know, I've been independent much longer than most other people have and it's made me a lot more powerful. So that's becoming conscious about your memory. So one thing I can say is that don't trust your memories. They're perspectives and they're subjective and you can change your life by changing Mm. your memories. And instead of having, you know, things repeat like mistakes or things repeat in your life and life happening to you, it happens for you. Yes, exactly. Love it. Love it, John. This is a great interview. Thank you so much. When you write your first book, let me know. <laughs> yeah. If people like to uh, find, out your, find out about your books, and uh, you have two books right now and you have a third one coming out, right? Or is it the fourth one? You know, the third one? Uh, my fourth one I've already got. I know exactly what it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, my books are called What's Your Moonshot and Magnetize with Two Eyes. And they're both available on Amazon and on Audible. Everything is available on my website, johnsane.com. That's J-O-H-N-S-A-N-E-I.com. And always sharing on social media. So if you want to hear more and want to have more access, just follow me on social media on all the different platforms. And I'm always sharing my thoughts and trying to add as much value as I can. Great. I'll put your Instagram handle and uh, everything on the show notes. Thank you so much. Great to have you, John. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.